Good morning. Man, I haven't seen some of you guys in months. All right, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's good to see you all. Even you, John. It's good to see you, brother. I missed you. I missed you. Jan, Jan, it's really good to see you. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians today. Uh, we're continuing in our sermon series. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> we'll get there in a second. Um, for those of you who aren't baseball fans, the American League Championship Series begins tonight. Um, it'll be the Tampa Bay Devil Rays against the Houston Astros. My favorite player plays for the Devil Rays, Joey Wendell. Yep, yep. Um, but the reality is Joey can't win tonight. It's impossible for Joey to win. Now, the Devil Rays, they can win, but Joey can't. Joey has to have his team to win. Now, Joey's going to contribute to that, but he can't do it on his own. Nolan Ryan, over his career, struck out 5,714 batters. He couldn't have done that without a catcher. Hank Aaron drove in 2,297 RBIs. He couldn't have done that if his teammates weren't on base. Emmett Smith, cowboy. Emmett Smith rushed for 18,355 yards, and he could have had none of them without an offensive line. And Jerry Rice caught 197 touchdown passes. Hard to do that without a quarterback. So this idea of team um, is really important in the church. We're going to see that today uh, as we look in this passage of 1 Corinthians. Now, John kind of brought us up to speed last week on what's been going on with the Corinthian church, and needless to say, they were having some problems. Um, they were a church, they, they were followers of Christ, but they really were out of balance in a lot of different ways, and John pointed those out last week. Um, and that trend's going to kind of continue today. Um, the short version is that on any given Sunday, the church in Corinth was in chaos. It was a mess. Chapters 11 through 14 roughly cover the problems they were having in corporate worship when they would gather together um, as a body, um, all the problems they were dealing with. Um, he starts out in chapter 11 talking about sort of irreverent prayer they were having and, um, and then couched in, in the passage that James just read from talking about how they were abusing and misusing the Lord's Supper. I mean, just imagine, you know, back in the day when we passed the, the communion plates, imagine if somebody took the whole tray and ate all the crackers and drank all the juice. That's the kind of stuff these people were doing. They were messed up. They were getting drunk off communion wine and other people weren't getting any. And Paul's continuing in this thread here in chapter 12. I'm going to read it for us and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. So starting verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. 
And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So it's not apparent from this section that we read what the problem is that Paul is going to be addressing. It becomes apparent later on, um, but since we're not going to get to that section today, um, I'll just cut to the chase. Basically, the church in Corinth felt that they were hyper-spiritual. They were like, I mean, they were it when it came to spirituality and spiritual gifts. But they were focusing in so much on speaking in tongues that it was creating chaos in the church. I mean, Paul's going to talk about in, in chapter 14, saying, you guys are all speaking in tongues. I mean, just imagine if an unbeliever walks in. What are they going to think? They're going to think you guys are crazy, and they're right. Why would you focus so much on speaking in tongues? So that's eventually what Paul's going to get to, um, and, and the section we're covering today is kind of leading up to that. So Paul's letter is a response to some questions that the church had. Uh, we don't have access to that letter, so we don't know exactly what they were asking about. But they were, say, they were asking something about spiritual gifts and spirituality. Um, that's as much as we know for sure. Um, and Paul is addressing that. Um, in verse 1, he talks about them. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. Uh, don't think of that as uneducated. They, they knew about spirituality, um, as, we, as I mentioned. Um, he's trying to correct the problems they're having, though. Verse 2, he references kind of their former lives. A lot of the members of the church of Corinth were, were Gentiles, so they came out of kind of pagan backgrounds and kind of Greco-Roman religions. And so they often would go to idols and, and worship there and sacrifice there. Um, and Paul's bringing that up here. He's saying, you know, when you did that, those idols, they were mute. They, they couldn't speak. They weren't living. Now, in comparison, now you've come to the living God who does speak to us by His Spirit. And we can know by what the words are whether something is coming from the Spirit of God or not. So he uses this um, example of saying Jesus is accursed or Jesus is Lord. And you can only say Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit. So what does he mean by that? I mean, it seems pretty simple that anybody could say Jesus is Lord. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Well, we've got to put this in context uh, of their church and their time. So to say somebody was Lord was saying they are master, they are ruler, they are completely in charge of my life. And if you attributed that to somebody not named Caesar, that could be a big problem. It could end in death. 
So for them to say Jesus is Lord, I mean, you could really only say that if you were empowered by the Spirit of God because you had to know what risk you were taking. Now, what is this Jesus is a curse thing? So honestly, scholars and theologians and stuff don't really know for sure what was going on, why, why Paul says this. So on one, one hand, it could be that at some of these uh, pagan temples and whatnot, you know, they're seeing the rise of the Christian church, and it could be that they were saying there, no, Jesus isn't, he's not anything, he's accursed. Okay, so maybe, maybe some people in the church formerly said that before they came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Um, but I think another thing that's going on, um, since Paul is really trying to address the problems that the church in Corinth is having, I think he's setting this up as, uh, as kind of an analogy. So we are supposed to elevate Christ in everything that we do. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus and elevates Jesus, that Jesus is Lord of everything, all the time, forever, period. And so if we're doing something that's in line with that, well, that's the Spirit at work. But if we're doing something that in some way is minimizing Jesus, in some way putting something else in His position as Lord, that's the same thing as saying Jesus is accursed. And I think what Paul is driving at here is the church at Corinth was in some way elevating themselves by feeling so super spiritual that they were, they were trying to one-up one another. I mean, as Paul's going to get to later, like they were talking over one another as someone's trying to speak a word from God. Somebody else jumps up and kind of overrides them and it's like this chaos is going on in the church. And that is not of the Lord. That is not the work of the Spirit. That is not what He would have us to do. It's the same as saying Jesus is accursed. Before we continue here, I want, to, uh, I want to acknowledge that, you know, we're about to start talking about spiritual gifts, and that is a challenging issue. Uh, it's sometimes a contentious issue. And I'm sure there are, for however many people are in the room, there's probably that many different opinions on, on what's going on here. Um, the first thing I would say is we're doing a sermon series on 1 Corinthians we're not doing a sermon series on spiritual gifts. So if it's like your hobby to do spiritual gift stuff, you're probably going to be a little disappointed. Um, we're not going to hit it all. There's just no way we can do that. Um, again, we're looking at, at the letter to the church of Corinth. Um, but also, spiritual gifts is something we need to hold with, with an open hand. This is not of primary importance. It is important, um, but it's not primary uh, I mean, the Lord is not going to say to us, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you bowed the knee to me. You accepted faith in Jesus. You led a life of servitude to the church. But you got this wrong. You're out. Like, he's not going to do that, okay? So we need to, we need to recognize that coming to the text. Uh, we need to recognize whatever biases we might hold and, and try to just... Uh, leave them behind, and let's just see what the Lord has to say to us today. All right, so let's pick up in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God 
who empowers them all and everyone. I mean, just look at the language there Paul's using. Varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. Varieties of activities, same God. What do we think Paul's getting at here? Well, we know from earlier in the letter, this church was divisive. There were factions within the church. There was the, the Apollos crowd, and there was the Paul crowd, and the Cephas crowd. Like, these people were divided amongst themselves. And Paul's saying, this is crazy. The Lord is not that way. The Lord is one. I mean, that's, that's like day one in Jewish thinking. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one. He is not divided. Why would you guys be divided? But Paul also recognizes that there are varieties of abilities and, and tasks and ministries and, and service uh, within the Godhead. And so as the church in Corinth is struggling with this idea that everybody needs to be speaking in tongues, Paul's saying, why are you doing that? That is not the way the Lord is. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he reaches this list. And generally speaking, I like lists. I love making lists at home whenever I have projects to do at the house. I love making lists because I get to cross things off. Oh, it feels so good. But in this instance, a list is not helpful. I really don't think it's helpful to look at this as a list of spiritual gifts. Um, one, because that's not the point Paul is trying to make. Paul is showing them that you guys are focusing on speaking in tongues and you're missing wisdom and knowledge and healing, etc., etc. There's all these other things, all these other ways that the Spirit manifests himself and you're missing out on it because you're focused on one thing. That's so out of balance. You guys are all trying to break a rushing record without using an offensive line. That's crazy. It's not going to happen. Furthermore, this is not supposed to be an inclusive list of the only ways that the Spirit is able to manifest Himself. I mean, just toward the end of chapter 12, Paul gives a different list. There is some overlap, but there's some different things there. But I want us to kind of expand our thinking on what it is for the Spirit to be at work. And we're going to look at a passage in Exodus. You can turn there if you want, or it'll be up here on the screen for you. It says Exodus 35. So kind of the uh, context here is the Lord's been giving Moses con uh, instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And so we come to this section, so Exodus 35, starting in verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine-twisted linen, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work on the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. 
It's very clear from that section that those people were empowered by God's Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work of God for the people of God. But that's not in Paul's list. Like, what do you do with that? It's not there. King David, how many Psalms did he write? I mean, the man was gifted in song and in, in writing, and that's not listed in Paul's list here. What gives? Again, I don't think Paul's trying to give us an exhaustive list of the only ways that the Spirit is able to manifest himself. I want us to spend a fair amount of time here on verse 11. All these, so all the things he's just talked about, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I think this is so crucial for us to understand whenever we're talking about spiritual gifts or spirituality. It's up to the Holy Spirit. It's up to him to determine who has what ability because he has wisdom far beyond ours. So he apportions to each one individually as he wills, and he does it for the common good, it says in verse 7. That's why these gifts are given, for the common good. The good of whom? The church. It's for the good of God's people. Often a mistake that I think we make is we think about spiritual gifts as being our gifts. What spiritual gift do you have? What spiritual gift do I have? Well, you don't. The Spirit of God manifests Himself through you as a gift to the church. You are a gift to the church. You have received a gift. We all have received a gift. That is the Lord Jesus. The gift that God gave us by sending His Son can never be matched. And that gift is for each one of us. But beyond that, you are empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work of God for the people of God as a gift to His church. You are a gift to those sitting around you. We're a gift to one another. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, and it is a gift to us that we can read of Paul's wisdom and knowledge and the Spirit of God working through Paul is now a gift to us. And we get to be a gift to one another. In John chapter 14, so John 14 through 16 is uh, um, Jesus speaking before he goes to his death. Um, And you get the sense as you read that that Jesus is really looking forward to going back to heaven, to going back to the Father. You don't ever get the indication, though, that it's because he's homesick or that he's just tired of dirt in his sandals. And he tells us why. So John 14, 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. What in the world? How is Jesus going to tell his disciples that they're going to do greater works than him? Jesus is the Son of God. How are we, as his followers, going to do greater works than him? Well, he tells us. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Jesus had to ascend so that the Spirit could be poured out on his people. We, as the church, empowered by the Spirit of God, are able to do greater works than Christ. We can minister right here in Hokesson simultaneously as our brothers and sisters can minister in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. That can only be done by the Spirit of God. So Jesus was eager to go back so that the Spirit could come and be with us and empower us to do great and mighty things for him. So we don't want to be like the church in Corinth that focused on one thing. We don't want to be out of balance. We need to have a variety of gifts amongst us, within us. But it's at the Spirit's discretion. The Spirit's going to look at our church and determine what needs we have, and He's going to fill those needs. Often in my prayer life, I'm, I'm guilty of asking God for a miracle. And I put it that way for a reason. It's, it's certainly not that I don't think God can perform miracles. I, I mean, we have ample evidence that the Lord performs miracles. The reason I say that is because I want God to be a genie. I want to see him snap his fingers and make my problems go away. When that's just not usually how the, Lord, how, the way the Lord works. The Lord uses us to minister to us. I mean, even when, even when God was leading his people out of slavery, I mean, yeah, there were some miracles there, but he did it through people. When he first approaches Moses um, and tells him to go back to Egypt to lead the people out, Moses starts giving all these excuses. And Moses says, who am I that I should go before Pharaoh? God doesn't try to give him a pep talk. God doesn't say, oh, Moses, you know, you're the guy for me. No, God just jumps right, right to the point and says, I will be with you. Like Moses says, it doesn't matter who you are. God is with you. So now go and leave my people out. That's how the way the Lord works. It's a little bit terrifying. It's a little bit terrifying because I know how broken I am. You know how broken you are. But the Lord knows how broken we are too. And that's why he came. He came to save. And he's going to use us to minister to one another so that on any given Sunday, we get to be a gift to one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we are... Um, we are just humbled by your word. Lord, we are humbled that even though we are broken vessels, that you desire to use us. Lord, we readily admit that you don't need us. <clears throat> there is nothing we bring that in some way benefits you. <clears throat> but God, you still want to use us. You still want us to be a part of the redemption of all the world. Thank you for that, Lord.
God, I ask that you would continue to use your spirit, that you would manifest the spirit through us to serve one another, to reach the lost. And Lord, may we be brave and bold as we go. May we look forward to opportunities to minister. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.